What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let him let let there be only two or at the most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophet are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. The women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. Is there anything that, uh, is there anything that they desire to learn? Let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the ones, only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. This is the word of God. So a few years ago, I went to... Uh, Nord City football game. Mixed reaction. And I had a pretty good expectation of what would be expected of me. I was pretty sure that I was invited by a fan, and so I was sure that when I got there, my role was simple, enthusiastically support Nord City. Wasn't too hard to do on this, on this day. They were, it was a cup match, and so they were playing someone a few leagues below them, and I think the score was like 9 to 5. So it was like goals everywhere. And it was like, great, yay, goal, oh, look at that, yay. That's what we did. We just enthusiastic, enthusiastically supported the team. That's what we did. And here's the thing. Sometimes we think that's what church is. Church is, I'm meant to come, and enthusiastically support. Amen, preacher. Good word. Worship was great today. Thank you, school, uh, Sunday school teacher, for helping my kids. And we think it's just about us going, isn't this wonderful? But actually, the New Testament vision for church, for us gathering together, is not a spectator sport. It's one where we are called to participate in a way that brings glory to God and brings good to one another. And so what we're here, what we're doing right now in 1 Corinthians is we've gone through the whole letter, 1 Corinthians, and in this section from uh, chapter 11, verse 2, all the way through chapter 14, which we're finishing today, we're focusing on how the Holy Spirit works in the, in the midst of his gathered people. What is he doing? What, is he, what does he want us to expect that he's doing? And here's the challenge for us today, okay? The challenge is to see what the scripture says about what the Holy Spirit desires to do and to weigh that up against our experience. The challenge is for us to see what our desires are and what our expectations are and to say, okay, God, if this is what you said, we want our desires and expectations to line up with what you 
save. And what we're going to see today is that when the Holy Spirit works, He works through both order and authority. Now, I use that word authority, and everyone goes, Because we live in a day and age where the only authority that we really trust is the one we see in the mirror. We pretty much only want to trust ourselves. But Scripture has a different vision for our lives. And we want to see what that vision is. And we want to pursue that by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. So let's talk about this. When we talk about order, here's the definition that we're going to work from for order as, as far as what we see in 1 Corinthians 14. When I'm talking about order today, I am talking about, listen, how God executes His good plan. Again, in 1 Corinthians 14, the specific situation in Corinth was probably an overemphasis on tongues and an underemphasis or misuse of prophecy. But we're going to see principles here. Principles here that are really important for us to apply. Some of these things might feel tricky for us to apply on a Sunday morning, and we'll even talk about why. But they're still important for us to say, God, what would you have us do? Because what happens if we just hear God's word and don't do it? What are we doing? Deceiving ourselves, aren't we? We're meant to hear what God says, and by the power of the Spirit, do what God says. Amen? Amen. That's where you're supposed to give enthusiastic support. (laughs) So let's pick it up in verse 26, okay? Verse 26 of chapter 14. Here's the first thing we want to recognize, okay? That when God calls us together, when the Holy Spirit brings us together, He does so for an individual participation for the strengthening of one another. Look at verse 26 again. Paul says clearly, What then, my brothers? And he describes what's going on there. He says, When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. And some people say, that's what's supposed to happen. Every person should have each of those things when they come together. I don't think that's what Paul's saying. I think what Paul's saying is, I think he's both commending them and trying to describe what he sees. He's saying, listen, it's good that each of you has come prepared to share, to benefit God's people. We talked about this last week, didn't we? That church is often boring because we're just coming to be spectators instead of participants. And yet the scripture calls us as Jesus followers to come ready to participate to be a part of what God's doing. This is what God wants for his people. This is what God expects to work into and through his people. See, each came gathered ready to participate. That's good. The problem was their actions didn't often or always strengthen others. That's bad. This is why he says this exhortation. It's, again, something he's been repeating throughout this whole section. He says in verse 26, Let all things be done for building up. Let all things be done in a way that they strengthen according to God's plan. That's what the word there, building up, really means. Some of your versions say edify or edification. It means to build according to a plan. God has a plan for his people, and he calls us to participate in that plan to see all of God's people built up, to grow and be developed in the way that they bring glory to Jesus. See, here's the, here's the reality. Both an unwillingness to participate. I, I don't want to really get involved. I'm just happy to come and sit and learn. 
That unwillingness to participate, and also, listen, an unconcern with how your actions affect others in the gathering. Hey, the Lord led me to do this. It'll be edifying just because I know God led me to do this. You don't think about how it's going to impact others. Both of those things, listen, quench God's Holy Spirit. If we want to be people of the Spirit, if we want to be those who are being led by God's Spirit, we have to say, okay, Lord, I want to be, I want to be prepared to be used. I, I, I want to be willing to do whatever you lead me to do. And also, we need to be thoughtful. Okay, Lord, whom am I supposed to help? And how, is this, how might this affect them? I, ho- I hope, as we talk about these things, I hope as we've been going through 1 Corinthians, that we see both one that we need to desire, we're called to desire the work of the Spirit, as we saw in verse 1 of chapter 14, that we should desire, we should desire the work of the Spirit, but to do so, we have to have the pursuit of love, and to do either of these things, to demonstrate God's supernatural love, to work uh, within God's gifts, whether they're more natural or supernatural, either way, we need God's Spirit to empower us and lead us to do this. God calls us to something, listen, that requires our participation, but requires us to trust him for the power to participate. This is what God calls us to. And if we're pursuing less than that, we are quenching the work of God's Spirit. We're grieving the heart of God's Spirit. We're resisting the work that God wants to do in us by his Spirit. Here's what's interesting. After Paul says this, he, after he kind of commends this idea of everyone participating, which is really what all chapter 12 was about, wasn't it? After he does this, then he says, okay, here's the deal. I also want to limit that participation. <laughs> Look what happens in verse 27. In verse 27, he says, he brings up the issue of tongues. He says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be only two or at the most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. And we talked about last week, we gave a definition for tongues, which is a known language that is spoken by someone who can't know that language naturally. Okay? We we were really clear about this, that the gift of tongues, as, as it was used on the day of Pentecost, as it's meant to be used now, the gift of tongues is a language by which you communicate to God. Your spirit bypasses your intellect, and you communicate to God. There's probably... Uh, Several of you here who have that gift. And Paul's saying, okay, this is a good gift. But if it's going to be used in a gathering, there should only be two or three using that gift and only if it's interpreted. That tells us, listen, if someone feels led to pray in tongues when we're we're gathered together, that is, that that they have a gift of tongues and they, they feel like God wants that to be prayed out, they should also expect that God's going to bring an interpretation. They might have the interpretation that's totally valid or they might have a sense that someone else has interpretation. And this is what they would do. Okay, Lord, I want to do this. And how that would work here at servants is if someone prayed in tongues during an open time, we would wait for the interpretation. If the person or someone else didn't give the interpretation, we'd probably conclude that the Holy Spirit didn't want to do that today. It doesn't mean the person who didn't speak, who spoke in tongues, didn't really speak in tongues. It just means it was the wrong time. Because in the gathering, Paul says this is the way tongues ought to be used. Two, three at the most in the gathering. 
So, so the rule he brings, the limitation he puts on participating with the specific gift is, is it has to be interpreted. It's got to be a limit to who uses it in the gathering. It's got to be interpreted. But he also says in verse 28, listen what he says in verse 28. Let's read it again. He says, but if there is no one to interpret, let each one keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Now, remember we saw last week that Paul encouraged people to pray in tongues. He encouraged that really to use that probably in your private prayer life. But also listen, when he says this, keep silent, pray to yourself. I I think there's room here for people to pray in tongues under their breath. So this is why I've had, over the years, we've had people who have come to me and say, didn't you teach us just recently, or haven't you said that at your church, you guys really want tongues to be interpreted? But I think so-and-so sits next to me, and they're praying in tongues. I said, did you hear that when you're sitting more than a space between you? Well, no, pretty much just when I was next to them. I said, well, then we really aren't going to make an issue of that. Because if they're praying in tongues, and the gift of tongues, they're, they're wanting to pray with the Spirit, and they're also wanting probably to pray uh, in their known language, pray with their minds. We're not going to say, no, you can't do that, because we think, well, they're just looking to be edified. They're just looking to grow. That's okay. It's when it becomes audible past, say, the person next to you, that we probably have to say, hey, if God's leading you to pray in tongues, you need to pray for interpretation. This is not about being legalistic. This is about being orderly. This is about recognizing that order is how God executes his plan. This is important. It's important because God wants us to limit ourselves because we value others more than ourselves. Now, I I don't have the gift of tongues, okay? Definitely seen tongues used in, in, in God-glorifying ways, been blessed by people praying in tongues and even blessed by, uh, with their, then there was interpretation, prayed with people, had people pray over me in tongues and then pray over me in English. Totally cool with all that. It's good stuff. I don't have that gift. But the point is not whether or not you have that gift or any gift. The point that we need to see, the principle we need to see is we limit participation for the benefit of all. Now, I, I believe I have a gift of teaching. I believe that's the the main gift that God's given me. Does that mean I have to teach every single time we come together? God, please, no. It's exhausting. I'm so thankful that God is raising up other gifted teachers in this fellowship. But the reality is this. Listen, when I do it, I need to make sure that when I'm teaching, I'm thinking about, Lord, what's going to be best for these guys? Which is one of the reasons why our conviction here is to teach verse by verse through whole books of the Bible so I can't bring up my pet doctrines. i got to tell you, this is what God says. Because we think that's best for you. The point is this. We limit ourselves because we value the needs of others more than our own. This is exactly the heart of Jesus. Listen to this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Paul writes, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That would include teaching or tongues or prophecy or service, any kind of gift. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. That's the principle. Now, I'm not going to judge any other churches when they use tongues differently or don't use tongues at all. That's between them and Jesus. I'm not their savior. He's their savior. But what we are seeking as elders in this church is to say, okay, Lord, how can we 
do what your word says? How can we prioritize your priorities? And this is part of that. So we have individual participation for strengthening of one another. This is part of God's order. We have limited participation for the benefit of all, also part of God's order. But also, listen, in verses 29 and 30, we have attested participation to discern God's will. Verse 29, Paul writes, Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. He says, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. Now, this is interesting because I, I've been challenged in this. This is the, in the history of Servants Church, the almost 19 years that Servants Church has existed, we used to be called Calvary Chapel Norwich, but it's always been the same church. I've taught 1 Corinthians, the second time through 1 Corinthians, and I taught uh, chapters 12, 13, and 14 a different time, sort of in, in between these two times. So this is the third time we've talked about these principles. And I've had challenge, one of the times someone challenged me, they said, okay, does that mean if God's given you a revelation through teaching, you know, you're teaching the scripture, you're trying to unfold God's, the revelation of God's word, if you're doing that, does that mean if I feel like I have a teaching, you should sit down and shut up? It's a good question, isn't it? The answer right now is no. Don't try to do that right now. But it is something that we think about. How, how do we do this? How does this work? One of the things I think it's important for us to see is that Sunday morning isn't the only time we gather, is it? And it's also important for us to recognize that the early church didn't gather in big groups like this very often. Not that we're the biggest group, but you know what I'm saying. Most of the gatherings in the early church, in the book of Acts in the first 100 to 200 years, were small group gatherings. They met in homes. Probably groups of 10 up to maybe 30 or 40, depending on how big the house was. Small group gatherings. And this kind of instruction that we're doing here was something that was mainly done by apostles initially. Now, there's a good reason why we do it, and we don't apologize for doing it, but the point is, Sunday morning isn't the only time we apply these things. House groups are a good time for us to apply these things as well. Women's and men's groups are a good time for us to apply these things. But the point is this, listen, the point is, whenever anything is being shared... It needs to be tested, whether that's a teaching or a prophecy or a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. Whatever it is, it needs to be tested. And what do we mean by tested? How do we do that? Well, first and foremost, I'm going to give you three things, okay? The first thing is this, testing against the scripture. So we first, whatever said, whether it's a prophecy or a teaching or a revelation, whatever it is, we want to test it against the scripture. We're going to talk more about that when we get to verse 36. But also it needs to be tested by those it was intended for. Notice what it says, again, in verse, uh, in verse 29. But Paul says, listen, let two or three prophets, and let the others weigh what is said. Some want to say that that means the other prophets. Hmm. That doesn't seem to fit to me with the whole tenor of 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. It's about the body, isn't it? But here, here's the thing, too. Others say that's the elders. Well, does that mean only elders prophesy? That doesn't fit either. I think the others are those who actually the prophecy was for or the word was for. So in other words, when I'm teaching all of you, guess who gets to test me? All of you. Not just gets to, must. But if, if someone has a prophetic word, a specific word for us as a specific congregation at a specific time, that's got to be tested. 
Now, if someone has one of those words, there's two ways we might test it. If it's an open time, which we used to have all the time when our church was smaller. Uh, usually during the time of, of worship through song, there would often be a time where we'd just kind of say, well, I'm going to wait on the Lord. If you feel like the Lord's leading you to pray or to read a scripture, or if you have a word, this is a chance for you to do that. And we'd usually kind of have that open time. We found the bigger we got, the harder that was to do because you couldn't hear each other. And so people would talk over each other and it was tricky. So some churches, what they do with that issue is they have people come forward with a microphone. We didn't really want to go there because what happens is there are people who have, God often will speak to and have something good to say, but they are not the kind of people that want to come up front. And so actually we, you lose a lot of good from people. So, so the, here's the issue. And, and here's maybe where I want to, to confess my own personal challenge. Years and years and years ago, gosh, I think we, it was, I can't remember what year we moved in. Maybe Adam would remember. He's not here. He's on holiday. But when we moved into this building, uh, when we were at the old school building, before they told down the old school we were here, when we moved uh, here, we were about 70 people on a Sunday morning. And that year, we went from 70 to 140, which is when we started having struggles with that open time. And so the, one of the things that we talked about, one of the things that we, I was really desiring to see happening was the Lord would allow us to have you know, multiple smaller congregations so that that body time could still happen. And it's been a struggle to get there. We finally have two congregations. But this one's still a little bit too big. I, I say that not because I have an answer. I say that because this is a struggle that we're having because we want to see God's people feel the freedom to be used in a congregational sense. At the same time, the thing that Paul wants to stress here is that when the Holy Spirit speaks through somebody, that that somebody needs to be, be prepared to be tested by the others. So, so here's, here's the way I think this might work. Uh, for now, if you felt like, I think I have a word for the congregation, we would ask you to talk to one of the elders. Hey, I think I have this word for the congregation. Usually, if that happens, then we would, if we hear that word and we feel like, yeah, I think that's the Lord, we'd say, yeah, come share that. Or if you feel like you have a word for an individual, but you're not sure who, what I would do is say, let's pray and ask the Lord to show you who that's for. And if not, just take some steps of faith and see what God might have you do. But also when it comes to testing, listen, if, when someone comes to me and they say, I think I have a word from the Lord... Then there's two things, two ways I'm going to respond to that as the person it's for. I'm going to test it one, of course, is it, is it biblical? But if it seems like, yeah, that's biblical, but I'm not sure if that's for me, one, I might go, you know what, I'm going to just wait and pray on that. And then the Lord might confirm that was from him. Usually, in my experience, it's been when it's a specific word for me, God's already been dealing with my heart. And so when someone brings that specific word, it just has a confirming value. But the point is it has to be tested. Now, when we say testing, we don't mean despising. And this is important too. The church in Thessaloniki, that church was a church that was just birthed in a matter of weeks. And these guys had this radical thing happen. There's a little revival going on. Paul was there for a few weeks, lots of people getting saved. And then these guys were persecuted right away, and they began to grow right away. And Paul commends them in his letters to say, man, you guys received from us 
not just a word from us, but as it is, a word from God. You received the scriptures from us as the word of God. And he commends that for them, to them for that. So this was a church that, even though they were young, they were hungry for what God says. But when prophecies happened, they got a little bit nervous. In fact, Paul has to write to them this. this. Listen, in 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, 5, he has to say, Do not quench the spirits. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast what is good. Again, here's my experience. I've been in ministry since 1991, full-time. And my experience, when people think, oh, that's just quenching the spirit when you want to test things, it's because they don't want their words to be tested. Can I say for the record, I want my teaching to be tested. When I've prophesied, which has only been a couple times in my Christian experience where I felt like God gave me a specific word, where I've prophesied, knowingly prophesied, I wanted that word to be tested. In fact, I'd said, anybody hear that's from them? Or I've said to the person, is that really, do you think that's the Lord? Because I don't want to assume that it's right. I want God to speak, not me to speak. Are you following me? This is why it's important to test. This is not about us being cynical towards each other. Because here's the reality. I've taught things that are wrong. Anybody shocked by that? Not if you've gone to the servant's church for a while. I've taught things that were wrong, and I have to go, you know what? Someone correct me, I go, you know, you're right, right? Maybe I, I was just wrong theologically. Sometimes I'm just wrong in how I communicated, but I've done things wrong. I need to be tested. We need to be tested. This is why. Because we want to hear God speak. So we want to hear God speak. We want to know God's will. So we don't despise prophecies. We test everything, and then we hold fast that which is good. So what do we do when it's not good? We leave it, we leave it alone. We let it go. What happens if it's the same person who's bringing stuff that's not good over and over again? Then there's a discipleship issue. We've got to talk to them and say, are you sure you're knowing what the Scripture says? Because it's, I think what you're hearing is not from God. That's what we do. Now, does that sound unloving to you? Or does that sound just wise, biblically wise? See, this is the order, uh, and, um, this is the, the order that we're talking about, an order by which God executes his good plan. That is, his plan to build up his people as all his people participate in the work he wants to do. But lastly, in verses 31 and 33, in this idea of order, listen, it's also a self-controlled participation for the glory of God. Look what it says in verse 31. Paul says, For all can, you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be encouraged and the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Now, all doesn't necessarily mean in a single gathering because obviously he said limit it to two or three. But all can mean as the Lord leads. And we read last week, didn't we? Paul says, Pursue love. Let that be your goal and desire God's spirit to work in you in such a way that you would prophesy. You'd have that good word in due season for somebody. Pray for that. It may be, listen, that what God wants to do is give you that good word for a specific person, not for a congregation. But you should pursue that. And remember, as we said last week, what makes it a, a, a prophetic word is not the spontaneity of it. It's the specificity of it. How specific is it? I don't think I told the story last week, but I've told the story before. My, the guy that was mine and Sarah's youth pastor, a guy named Troy, a lovely guy. 
Uh, Troy, uh, when he was doing youth work, was feeling really discouraged. And he, was, he, he had a pretty rough upbringing. And so he was really wondering, does, is he really a Christian? Maybe God doesn't want him. Maybe he's not loved by God. And he wasn't telling anybody this because he's a youth worker. You don't tell, youth pastors don't say, I don't think I'm loved by God. So he kept it to himself, but he was tormented with this idea that I'm not loved by God. And so someone came up to him on a Sunday and said to him, Troy, this is weird. I know you're, you're one of the pastors here and you're the youth worker, but I just, I, I'm supposed to tell you God loves you. And he broke, he wept. Because that was a specific word for him on that specific day. He needed to hear that. Now, listen, you might go, I can do that. I can tell people God loves you. God loves you. Hey, that's a good thing to tell each other, isn't it? It's a good thing for us to remind each other. So, so do it as much as possible. Go for it, okay? But what would make it prophetic is the specificity, the timing. Does that make sense? So sometimes we think, I have to have this grand vision of what God's about to do before it's a prophetic word. Not necessarily. What you have to do is pursue love and desire the Spirit to speak to you for the benefit of somebody else. Now, what if you feel like, I really feel like God has a word for me, but I haven't had the opportunity? That's okay. You don't have to say it yet. God will give you the opportunity if He really wants it said. Now, when it says in verse 32 that the Spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet, that means never is there a time And I want to emphasize this. Never is there a time when the Holy Spirit wants you to speak and you just can't help. You have to speak. There may be a time when you're miserable until you speak it, where your heart's so burning in you, you think, I have to say this, but never a time where you go, I can't help myself. And here's why I want to bring this up, because there, there has been, as a charismatic church, we have to be discerning about... Um, what we're open to as charismatic experience. This is not me judging other people's experience, but I share this as an example. When I was doing youth work in the States, as a charismatic youth pastor, as a charismatic youth group, we had kids who prayed in tongues, we had kids who prophesied, all that. We saw God heal. We were a charismatic youth group, okay? One of the things that was going on at that time in the 90s was uh, there were, there were aspects of the church that were... Um, emphasizing this thing called holy laughter. Now, I'm not critiquing the experience by itself, and I'm definitely not critiquing your experience. I'm sharing this as an illustration, okay? And what happened is, uh, a good friend of mine, he was one of the elders at the church, he was a, a, a principal, like a head teacher, of a school there, a high school. And there was another youth group, that uh, had experienced this uh, holy laughter, quote-unquote, where they were all kind of laughing uncontrollably. They couldn't, they couldn't help themselves. And they came to a, a, a sort of a Christian club, a, sort of like a CU uh, on their campus, and they began to pray and then began to have this holy laughter. And it went, it was happening so dramatically during a, a lunch period uh, sort of meeting that when the lunch bell rang so they had to go back to class, this was still happening. And so the principal, who's a lovely, solid Christian guy, went in there and said to a couple of the girls who weren't stopping, they said, okay, sweetheart, praise God for what he's doing, but it's time to go back to class. You know, you have to go back to class. And what happened is this girl starts weeping and says, I can't stop, Mr. Bartow. I can't stop. That's not the Holy Spirit. That is not the Holy Spirit. 
So we are not looking for uncontrollable. In fact, I have to say, no one I was going to sing, uh, prepare this, we sang uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it's a good song, and I know where it's coming from, but send a fire into my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. No one I was going to teach this, I was feeling a bit nervous about that, feeling a bit uncomfortable. I, I think it's a great song, don't get me wrong. But I want to be clear. What we're talking about biblically here is not pursuing something where the Holy Spirit goes zap and you, blah, 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 you can't stop yourself. When the Holy Spirit's working, it may be bigger than you can imagine. It may be surprise you when he calls you to do something, but you will be able to say no if you don't want to do it. That's both a privilege and a responsibility. It's important, listen, that we recognize that, that what Paul is laying out here, what the Holy Spirit is laying out here is an order to how God executes his plan. And it's not going to be, I have no control over this. You probably want to come, some of you might want to come talk to me about that afterwards, I bet. But also verse 33, and, and, and I'll say right now, verse 33 kind of links the two sections together. Paul says, for God is not a, a God of confusion, but of peace. Now, some of your versions include the, 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 all of verse 34 as one sentence, which I think might be actually better. It says, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. In other words, when Paul says this, he's being really clear. This is not a Corinthian issue, it's a church issue. This is important for us. It's important for us. Again, I'm, I, I, the last thing I want to do is judge other churches the way they operate. That's between them and Jesus. But we as elders in this church, we're clear. We want to pursue what God's standard is according to his word. And we want to pursue it for the same reason. Not just because we think we want order for the sake of order. We want to see the Holy Spirit actually do what he wants to do. We want to see total participation that, that all of you would come on a Sunday or a, a home group or whenever you would gather and you'd say, Lord, why are you calling me here today? How can I serve people today? How, who am I supposed to bless today? I want to be used by you today so that you might be glorified and God's people might be built up. We desire that more than anything. But that participation needs to be individually chosen. It needs to be limited. It needs to be tested. And it needs to be self-controlled. And this is why James says this, and this is in the context of James telling us what heavenly wisdom is and what earthly wisdom is. And here's earthly wisdom. Listen, James corrects it. He says, for where, where you have envy and selfish ambition, you will, you will there find disorder and every evil practice. Now, again, I'm not critiquing a person's experience. You may have been in a, in a meeting where everyone was praying in tongues at the same time, and you felt built up by that. I'm not saying that you weren't really built up, and I'm not saying that that church was bad. What I'm saying is, if you weigh that against the Scripture, hopefully you see why we don't encourage that. So this is what we're talking about. We're talking about an order, order being how God executes his plan. What about authority? Well, authority, listen, authority is how God reveals his good rule. Do you have a God who rules the universe? Yes or no? Are you included in that universe? God rules all. And isn't that great news? There's no demonic spirit that the enemy, or that, that God doesn't have power over. There's no person that God can usurp God on his throne. 
And as much as we might want to push away God's authority, it's a good authority, and he calls us to model it so that people can see that it's a good authority. Look at verse 33 again, right? He says, For God is not an author of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. And then he says, The women should keep silent in churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but to be in submission as the law says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak at church. And too bad we run out of time. Let's pray. (laughs) This is a tough, it's a tough bit of scripture. Let's know, let's talk about what we know this doesn't mean. This does not mean that Paul's forbidding women to prophesy or to pray. We know that because of what we read in 1 Corinthians 11, right? Paul says, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. In other words, it's fine to pray and prophesy, you just need to have a covering. I would refer you back to 1 Corinthians 11, the study that we did on that, to see what we, how we concluded from there. Tricky passage, but hopefully we were fairly clear. But also we see in Acts chapter 21 that Philip the evangelist is, is talked about how, how he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. So it's not about just being married women either, is it? So prophecy, that is a specific word for a specific person or people group at a specific time, and prayer, which is us seeking God's for what he and he alone can give to us, those are things that should be done by men and women in the gathering. Amen? There's, there's no way you can come to any other conclusion, though there's been traditions that did. I don't know how they got that biblically, but there, you really can't get there biblically. All right? So what's going on here? Okay, here, here's what Paul is forbidding. He's forbidding either at least, at least, listen, an interrupting of the service. There's really good evidence that in, in the uh, early church, the first Christians, that the way their, their gatherings were ordered is similar to the way the synagogues were ordered. You got men on one side, you got women on the other. So the idea potentially here is that uh, a, woman, uh, a man prophesies and someone gives, uh, uh, sort of uh, says amen to that prophecy and the woman's thinking, I'm not too sure if that's suit. So she says, honey, I don't agree with that. What do you think? Or worse, it could be, or worse, what happens is a husband prophesies and the wife says, come on, you and I both know that's not true. It could be that, which is awkward, to say the least. It could be that. Or it also could be, listen, it also could be that Paul's saying, I don't want you to usurp a scriptural order. Because he does say in verse 34, as the law says. Now, I will say this, there are some scholars who believe that this is a reference to the fact that Paul's quoting the Roman law, because the Roman law was quite patriarchal. Men had authority, women didn't have any. There's some argument for that. But I think it's more natural in this context to see he's talking about the Old Testament law, i.e. the first five books of Moses, and probably specifically the creation order that's talked about in Genesis chapter 2 and then chapter 3 with the fall. It's probably more often what it's talking about. So, so here, here's what I'm saying, okay? We're talking about authority being how God reveals his good 
rule. I, I believe what Paul's saying here is this. Listen, not that men and women can't both prophesy, not that they don't have both speaking gifts, or, or, or they shouldn't both pray in a gathered service. He's saying, make sure that's not done in a way that usurps God's order. Now, this is where we are becoming more and more unpopular. Uh, someone close to me recently said, uh, you know, um, I said, well, yeah, we used to have a lot of students, but we don't have as many students. They go, well, you don't have as many students because you don't let women lead. That's hard to hear. It's hard to hear for two reasons. One is that my goal, our goal as leaders, is not to put down women. In fact, we are, one of the big things we're talking and praying into right now is, Lord, how can we equip and release women for ministry more because we realize we haven't done as good as we could have done that. This is a priority to us for us. But it also breaks my heart because I think the scripture is fairly clear on this. I had a long conversation with someone who moved back to their home country about this issue. They said, hey, I'm going to a church now that has women leaders. I'm like, okay, cool. Is it a good church? It seems like it. Great. You mean you're not bothered by that? Well, I don't agree with it, but if, if they're teaching the word, then that's more important to me than who's doing it. Yeah, but then why don't you let it happen to servants? And went on this big rant about why we were wrong for not letting women preach on a Sunday morning. It's tough. This is not the cool position to take anymore at all. But the reality is what we're trying to do is, and we're open to be wrong, but we're trying to discern what does God's word actually say. And what we seem to see in scripture is there's only two places where men are meant to have authority or women. One's the home and one's the church. And it's not all men over all women. It's a partnership Whereas, listen, in marriage, husband and wife decide things together, and if there's a decision that has to be made or direction that has to be given, and they can't agree, it's the man's responsibility to make this decision. Tim Keller, one of my favorite uh, Bible teachers, just recently went home to be with the Lord. He tells a story about when he and his wife were talking about moving to York to, to start the Church Redeemer, which ended up being this church that's blessed really the whole world that, that he, they were praying about it, and his wife, Kathy, didn't really want to go. And he's like, well, okay, if you don't want to go, then it's not really God's will. And she goes, don't you do that to me. If you're really feeling led by this, and you feel like we need to make a decision, don't you put that on me. Be a man, she said to him. <laughs> and she went to the same seminary he did, and taught also. But she recognized there's a time when you need to man up and make a decision. We believe eldership is male at Servants Church. We think that's pretty clearly taught in Scripture. Does that mean... These few men are over everybody and they tell you what to do? No, it means we partner with you guys and we partner together to make decisions, to, to discern God's will, which again is why prophecy could be a really good and helpful thing. Why do I say all this? This is one of those things where people go, can't you just skip over this? Obviously, I'm tempted to do so. But it's what God's word says. We want to wrestle with this. Again, we might be wrong, but we want to wrestle with this. Because here's the deal. God's character, his triune character, his three-in-one character, his loving character, where submission and deference has always been, is seen in his structure for his people. And if we just chuck that aside and say, ah, it's not that big a deal, or it doesn't really fit in our culture anymore, we miss something great. In fact, one of the things I think that Paul is saying here, which pretty much all commentators, wherever they stand on the issue of male leadership, all agree that one of the things that Paul's saying, at least here, is that women need to respect the spiritual responsibility that their husbands have. 
Women, does that mean you shouldn't tell your husbands when they're wrong? No. I'm so thankful that Sarah tells me when I'm wrong all the time. <laughs> not because she's whiny or nitpicky. She's not, as the proverb says, that dripping roof. Drip. I used to tease her like that. When she complained about something, I'd go, drip, drip, drip. There's a proverb that says, you know, a contentious wife is like a dripping, dripping roof, okay? But, but, but listen, I'm thankful because, one, she respects me in front of people as I try to respect her in front of people. But if she disagrees with me, she will come to me and say, honey, I don't think you're seeing this right. I think you really need to wrestle through this a bit more. Or I don't think it's the way we should go. You know what? I can only think of, I can hold in one hand the amount of times where I've said we need to do this. Every big decision, every small decision we make together, and if we can't agree, if the Holy Spirit's not clearly leading us, I will stop and say, honey, uh, let's just keep seeking the Lord. Now, there's been some big decisions where it's taken two years for Sarah to come and say, I think this is the Lord. But I'm so glad I let the Lord show her about those decisions. We, one of the things that's tricky about moving into plurality of eldership right now for us is some of you guys are getting frustrated because you want to know, hey, when's this going to happen? When's that going to happen? We say, we don't know, we don't know, we don't know. One of the reasons we don't know is because we want time to pray and seek the Lord together to make sure we're on the same page. We're not just... These guys aren't just doing what I tell them to do. In fact, oftentimes I'm saying, let's do this. And I'm like, nah, we need to seek the Lord about that one. And I'm so glad. Does that make it efficient? No, but it's going to make it more effective. It's going to make it more effective. Authority is a good thing when it works the way it's meant to work. Listen, Paul says this about Christ's authority, but also about how the husbands show that. Listen, in Ephesians chapter 5, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Husbands, you who are already married, you men who are already married, let this be your goal. I want my wife to know she's clean in Christ. I want my wife to be released to do what God's called her to do in Christ. I want my wife to be blessed by me laying down my life for her. Let that be your goal. Elders, let that be our goal. God's character is seen in the structure of his people. Verse 36, God's goodness is seen in the submission of his people. Now, here, Paul gets a bit firm here. Notice in verse 36, he says to the Corinthians, you can feel the tone change a little bit, can't you? He says, or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it reached? He says, verse 37, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, that is, remember that word we talked about in the first part of chapter 14, that first verse, it, desire the work of the Spirit. And we said last week, pneumaticos, the work of the Spirit, same word here. If you're one whom, in whom the Spirit is working, if you claim to be that, then here's what you should acknowledge. Verse 37, that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. He says, if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. In other words, if he ignores what I say, let him be ignored. Don't let him have any authority. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying, that he has an apostolic authority that is unique. We would say, in 20, as 21st century believers, that this has an authority that nobody else has. Listen. Notice what Paul, when Paul chastens these guys. He, he says to them, listen, you act as if God only speaks to you or through you. And here's what happens. Listen, when people exalt themselves, when people are big... 
God becomes small. He's seen as small. His word is seen as small. But when we have a big vision of God, when we see God as big as he's revealed himself to be, then we care about what he says more than what anybody else says. See, the Spirit's work is seen in our submission to what God says more than what we think God wants us to say. Uh, I've heard people, one of the criticisms I've gotten in the last few years is I've tried to be careful, discerning the difference between when I say, this is what I think, this is what the Word of God says for everybody, and this is what I think the Word of God says for us, or this is how I interpret the Word. I try to differentiate that. And people go, hey, if you're not confident to teach the Word, then you shouldn't be teaching the Word. I'm totally confident to teach the Word. I'm totally sure that this is God's authoritative Word. Got no, I would die for that. But it doesn't mean I always get it right. And so I'm submitted to it. God, what do you want to do? Here's how this works, okay? When Paul says, anyone who doesn't recognize this, let him not be recognized, basically he's saying anyone who rejects or contradicts apostolic authority, hear that as the, the scripture, okay? He's not worth listening to. This is where we get into the testing through the word of God. Let me give you three, three ways this works, okay? The first is, is, is in 1 John chapter 4. Paul writes, and I'm, I'm reading you kind of the first and the last verse of the section. I encourage you to read the whole section, okay? In 1 John chapter 4, 1 to 6, okay? But here's just verses 1 and 6. Uh, John writes, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they're on God. He's talking about the spirit behind the person speaking. So if someone's speaking a word for God, testing the spirit means we're trying to discern, is this from God's spirit? Is this from a demonic spirit? Or is this from his own human spirit? What's the origin, okay? Don't believe every spirit, he says. For many false prophets have gone into the world. But then he says in verse 6, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us, for we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, there are many people who would say the us refers to all Christians, but that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense because the people who would have been doing the, bringing the false gospel would have said they're Christians. And so that, does that mean anyone who says they're a Christian, that's the us? No, I think it's really clear the us is he and the other apostles. I say that because also what we see in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, listen... Paul writes, he says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. In other words, Paul's saying, this apostolic revelation that we, uh, the apostles, have received, it's above, our, it's above us. It's not us that's the authority, it's what God said through us. If you know what I'm talking about, if you're confused by what I'm saying, you need to go back and listen to the first couple messages that we did in the series called The God Who Speaks, where we kind of lay this out a little bit. Then he goes on to say this, listen, Peter says this. So we got John, Paul, and Peter all agreeing about the same thing. 2 Peter chapter 1, listen, Peter writes, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed in the context. He's talking about this, this word that centers on Jesus because he's talking about when they saw Jesus transfigured. He says, to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in dark places until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, 
that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, but prophecy was produced by the will of was, I'm sorry, uh, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the authority of the Old Testament, but he's also talking about, listen, how we deal with that authority. We don't go, oh, I think it means this, you think it means this. Oh, that's fine. That's not what we're doing. We're saying, God, we want to know what you say. Because yours is the more sure prophetic words. See, guys, listen, God's goodness is seen when we submit to what he says. Do you know why we move towards a plurality of eldership? Some of you, I I think some of you think we did that because it was just too hard for me to lead the church by myself. There's some truth to that. It was getting harder and harder, but this is why it was getting hard. It wasn't the workload. It was the fact that I was looking at Scripture and going, I don't think Scripture teaches there should be one dude running everything. I think the Scripture teaches a plurality of eldership. And so I'm seeing what God says and unable to get there and going, Lord, this isn't good. And I'm so thankful that God called these other men to come eld with me, pastor with me. So thankful. Because I believe it's what God wants. It's his goodness to us. It's his goodness to all of us. And we want to demonstrate that, not only in submitting to it, but also in doing, doing it in a way that shows his goodness. So Paul makes this clear with these guys. And he closes with this. I'm almost done. In verses 39 and 40, he says, he says, so my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. That, that phrase, earnestly desire, could be translated, be zealous. This is important. God's work is manifest through the zeal of his people. And here's one of the things I have to be honest that challenged me, challenges me the most. We're not a very zealous lot, Servants Church. Either if we're zealous, we're zealous just for the sake of zeal. We've got to be zealous! Or we're just not zealous. When we're meant, we're called to be zealous for a good thing. We're called to be zealous about the Savior who saved us. We're called to be zealous about the truth of his word. We're called to be zealous in our love for one another. The Bible says love one another fervently in in Romans chapter 12. We're called to be zealous and fervent in our worship, not hyping something up emotionally, but saying, God, if I can celebrate Nord City finally scoring a goal, I can celebrate you. If I can be as zealous for being used by you, I can be zealous for someone else being used by you. Zeal is a good thing. See, what Paul's talking about here, and we see this in, in verse 40 when he says, but all things should be done decently in order. He's saying, look, this is not about less participating, but it's about participating to strengthen God's people, God's way. Be zealous for that. Be zealous for that. When you say worship was good today, do you mean because the music moved you emotionally? Or because do you, do you mean because God is worthy to be worshipped and it's lovely to worship when God's people all worship? Which do you mean? When you say the word was good today, do you mean it was good because the person who communicated to you really caught your, kept your attention? Or because God spoke to your heart and did a work of transformation? He spoke life into you through that. 
If you say the fellowship was good, do you mean because you had a funny conversation, heard a funny story over a good cup of coffee? Or do you mean because you were able to give and receive what the Holy Spirit led you to give and receive? What are you zealous for? Be zealous for what God wants to do. David, the psalmist, said this in Psalm 119. He said, my zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. They forget what you've said. And it's just, oh, I want your people to know what you say, God. In John chapter 2, we have this story of one of two times where Jesus cleanses the temple. And it says, in making a whip of cords, Jesus drove them out of the temple where the sheep and oxen, with the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers, and he overturned the tables, and he told those who sold pigeons, take these away, do not make my father's house a house of trade. And his disciples remember that was written, quoted another psalm, zeal for your house will consume me. Are you zealous for God's house? Do you recognize you are God's house? That's what we've been learning in 1 Corinthians, man. Guys, God wants to do so much more. When I went to Norwich City that day, if one of the, if either team would have said, John Brown, please come down and play for us. First of all, anyone who knew me would have laughed out loud because I'm so rubbish at football. But also, I would have said, no, there's no way. You have to train for years to play at this level. You have to have natural skill, which I don't have. There's no way that I can do that. I would have said absolutely not because my expectation was to sit and just enthusiastically applaud. If that is your expectation coming to Servants Church, you're missing what the Holy Spirit expects to do in you and through you. What he expects to do in you and through you is to use you to show his love. Is to use you, listen, to show an order by which he's executing his good plan to build up a people for himself, to show his, his authority by which he demonstrates how good it is for him to rule over us. Do you want that? Church, do you want that? Because that's what God wants for you.